Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. When they heard about it, they all wanted to come to the meeting and vote their disagreement with the changes. And so the, the leadership said, you know what, you guys, you 10 people, we're going to disfellowship you guys. Y'all are causing trouble. Go away. So I ended up going to court. And you got pastors and leaders at church with big groups of congregations before a non-believing judge. And I thought, man, what a shame. And I, I, I know that the world loved reporting on this. They loved bringing this to the forefront. Scripture tells us as believers that the world should know us by our love. Our unity in spite of our differences and disagreements should stand out as countercultural. Yet all too often, the church brings negative attention to itself because of its petty arguments. In today's message, Pastor Bill will explore the guidance given in 1 Corinthians on how we should manage our disputes. It should be done in a way that honors him and draw us closer instead of dividing and driving us further apart. Now. Here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to point this out before we jump into it. Six times in this chapter, we're going to see the phrase, do you not know? And every time we see it, I'll point it out to you guys. But when you see it, this is what Paul is saying. He's basically telling them, you guys should have known this. Uh, there's some things that for you guys that maybe have kids, there's some things that, you know, you've told them over and over again and you might see them do something that you already told them not to do. And you, Did you know better? Didn't I already tell you? That's the tone of the chapter where six times in the things that are being spoken out, Paul said, did you not know? Didn't you, did, you didn't know this? Because you should have known this. And remember that though the Corinthian church was a very carnal church, they were also very into the gifts. We're going to get into that in chapters 12, 13, and 14. They were proud of uh, just their, their, um, their use of a lot of the verbal, audible gifts. And Paul said, man, with you guys with all those gifts and all this stuff, didn't you know this? Didn't you know this? And so I just want you to catch that every time we go. I'll, I'll highlight it for you. Um, I broke it down into three chunks. Um, I, called, I called this chapter, I titled it Taken. And, and you'll see in verses 1 through 8. It's uh, taking you to court. Um, we're going to see as uh, believers, we're taking believers to court. Yeah, yeah. Some Judge Judy stuff. So verses 1 through 8, taking you to court. Verses 9 through 10, taking you to task as he lets them know people that are not getting in. If you're living this lifestyle, you're not going to make it. Verse 11, taking you to the cross. Verse 12, taking you to freedom. And then verses uh, 13 through 20 is take, uh, taking your body as we're going to learn through that, that section there that our bodies belong to him. They've been purchased. They've been bought. If we're believers. So verses one through eight, look at verse one with me. Chapter six, verse one of first Corinthians. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and before and not before the saints. So he's saying, you guys, when believer when two believers have an issue with one another, he said the Corinthian church was, was dragging one another to court. And I went this week and looked this up online. I just was curious. I'm sure it happens. And sure enough, there were, I, there were countless cases where churches were going before judges to settle church matters. Uh, there's a church where um, there was a, it was a, a church where the, the church government was a congregational rule. And so the church leadership was coming up with new bylaws and 
uh, there were some people that weren't even attending the church, but they were still part of the membership. And when they heard about it, they all wanted to come to the meeting and vote their disagreement with the changes. And so the, the leadership said, you know what, you guys, you 10 people, we're going to disfellowship you guys. Y'all are causing trouble. Go away. So I ended up going to court. And you got pastors and leaders at church with big groups of congregations before a non-believing judge. And I thought, man, what a shame. And I, I know that the world loved reporting on this. They loved bringing this to the forefront. Uh, there was one that ended up on one of those daytime talk uh, court shows. Uh, another case where the people in the church were uh, making accusations against the minister in the church. And they're, they're on TV on, um, I forget which judge it was, one of the shows or whatever. And so Paul is saying here, you guys, we don't do that. You know, if we end up with some beef or issues among ourselves, legal um, I was a part of a church where there was a man in the church, had a construction company, and he was doing work for somebody that worked at the church, and he didn't keep all his word. And it, they did it biblically. They were like, look, we're believers. This shouldn't go to the courts. So they brought it to the church. Um, basically, they had a, a board of pastors sat before each of these guys and heard them out and heard what was going on, and they judged. And so I want you to just tell you up front, that's what... We should not be going to court before each other. There's a couple options. One, you bring it to the church and let the church judge. There's another option we'll see as we come to the end of this. So he says, man, dare you guys go before unrighteous judges with your matters. Verse two is the first. Do you not know? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge in the smallest matter? Don't you guys know that one day we're going to be judging? You know, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. And one day the church of God is going to, we're going to judge the world. He said, you guys, one day y'all are going to judge the world and y'all can't settle these little matters between yourselves. Um, it shouldn't be so. Second, do you not know? Verse three, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? In the, in the next realm, you guys, as we enter into the next realm, we're going to judge the angels. That's why, that's one of the reasons why when the Bible says that the angels look down at us and they marvel, I bet they're looking down and saying, they're going to judge us, them? <laughs> I think they're just like, no, they're, they got messed up they are, Lord. That's not fair. You know, thankfully, when we get to heaven, we'll know as we're known. We won't be as messed up as we are right now. But I wonder if they look down here and marvel that, that, that that's going to be our, they're going to be over us, you know? Um, but it said, do you not know you're going to judge the angels? Y'all are going to be having authority over the angelic host of heaven. You guys can't settle some disputes. Um, you guys, how much more things that pertain to this life you guys should be able to settle? Verse four, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you not appoint those? Do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? And so when I look at the, the judges of this world, God says, this is the least esteemed. They don't know God. They don't give godly judgments. They're not they're not they don't have spiritual discernment in their judge. Do we go before those that are least esteemed? of the church to judge our matters and, and, and it's a rhetorical we should not be verse five i say this to your shame it is is it so that there is not a wise man among you not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you that you go to law against one another what why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? And so I believe these are a couple of options. Should there be between Christians uh, a legal matter, a matter of this brother took advantage of me or 
I hired him to do something and we, we, you know, somebody didn't make right. Paul is saying, well, first, could you, is there not a wise, is there not one wise person in your church that you can come before and say, hey, would you help us sort this out before I beat him up? Um, you know, is there not one wise man among you guys? And, and if that doesn't work, he says, I would, Paul is saying, look, if, if you can't sort it out there, why, why not rather just be wronged? Why not let it go? Now, that's nobody likes that. Nobody want to swallow that pill. No, I'm a, I want my money back, you know. Uh, but Paul is saying, look, for the sake of what we represent, I represent Jesus. For the sake of the shame that you will bring upon my church when you go before the judge, would you not rather just be wrong? Would God not take care of you if somebody took advantage? Because the one person that knows exactly what went down is the Lord. He knows who did right, who did wrong. And you might not be able to convince human people to judge correctly or whatever, but God knows and God, there's no justice like God's justice. And so Paul said, what if you said, you know what? God saw what happened. I'm going to let it go. So I don't want to, I don't want to take this before unbelievers and misrepresent the Lord. I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to just leave it with God. Do we believe that God would take care of us? Do we believe that God would right the wrongs? Do we believe if we do, then Paul is saying, just, just let it go. Rather be wronged than to misrepresent God. So, again, I, I'm not aware in our midst of any any of these sort of issues. And so I'm not going to belabor it. But just so we know the heart, Paul is convicting and, and correcting and rebuking the Corinthians because it was a normal practice that they were going to courts against one another. Um, that believer was going to court against believer. This is just a normal way that they would you say that's not fair. I'll take you to court. That was happening at church. So imagine that kind of drama at church. What kind of light were they? What kind of witness could a church like that be to the world? Who who at the courthouse say, what church is that? I'm going to come by there. I want I want to come worship with y'all. Nobody will come. You know, it just was a bad witness. And so we want to be careful. I think with all of our lives, right, um, that we be careful as we're out in the world. Um, sometimes believers, you know, we be out there and maybe somebody don't serve your food up right. I've seen Christians be I'm ashamed. Well, I'm like, well, you a Christian. You're you going to pray and eat now, huh? After you did that waiter like that, like, at least be polite. I've seen Christians act like, you know, you at Sizzler. You ain't at, you know, the, I don't know what's a rich restaurant, but it's like, this is not how I asked for my steak here, you know. And um, I just think as believers, we have to be really careful about uh, just how we deal, that we represent the Lord rightly everywhere in every situation. But here again, dealing with legal matters. So should that be your issue? Should there be a legal matter? Um, may I encourage you guys that we would rather be wronged or bring it before church leadership, um, but that we wouldn't be taking our stuff to the world. And I would add this. I've been aware of this where there are believers that got church drama going on and they're sharing their church drama with non-believers. What kind of witness is that? People that don't even go are hearing like, that's what they do over there? Why would I go? Why would I, why, why would I join you in that mess? Um, so you know, should there be stuff like that? You want to take it to the Lord. You want to take it to leadership, but you don't want to be taking your stuff like that to the world and misrepresenting the Lord. Amen. So that's verses one through eight. Um, we, we, we don't want to do that. Oh, verse eight. I'm sorry. I didn't read it. it. said, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. So he says, not only guys taking one of the court, which is a shame. And why wouldn't you rather just be wrong? Says you guys are actually do, cheating one another. And you do these things to your own brethren. And so will we, will we be careful, you guys, how we treat everybody, but in particular, our brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, we should be fair. We should be the most trustworthy people in the world. You know, it's a shame that sometimes I'll see a business with a fish 
and it's kind of fishy. It's like, you know, I almost, it's been, it's true, it's true. It's, it's almost, I, I ha, I, I've dealt with this where there was a Christian mechanic situation and then there was a non-believing situation and I, I, I don't play games, but I do this. If I have something wrong with a car, I used to flip cars, I would find out with somebody I trust was actually wrong and then I'm like, all right, well, now I'm going to take it to a few people. I got to get the best price on fixing. I took it to one person and say, hey, what's it going to take to fix it? You know, tell me what's wrong. What's it going to take? And this non-believer tells me the truth and gives it to me. This was a long time ago. My wife was pregnant. I remember, remember you had the Honda Accord. And there was a guy that all the people at church were used. Oh, he's a great brother in the Lord, man. Take your car over there. And I took the car over there. And the guy, came, I said, man, my wife about to have a baby. I don't have that much money. Give me the cheapest fix possible. And it was like seven, eight hundred bucks. I was like, well, we don't have it. So I'm going to just have to take it broke. I said, can you give me a printout of all that stuff I need? And he gave me the printout and I left with it. And I was like, man, I started trying to figure out, you know, where we going to get this money from. And, and then I go to another mechanic um, and I'm kid you not. The, the dudes have beers while they figure out what's wrong with your car. I mean, non-believers. Through and through, I take it over there. The guy looked at it, called me back and said, oh, man, it's just this one part right here. I can get you a youth from 40 bucks, 20 bucks labor, 60 bucks. I said, no. Nah. I said, I said, let me take. I took him. I was so I said, no, I took him the list that the guy gave me. Right. I said, but th this is the list I got, bro. He said, these, this car doesn't even have these parts. Oh. That's the non-believer, you know, so. What a shame. And what I did, I went over there and talked to the guy and I told everybody. I, I, I was like, don't go to him anymore. Go to the guy with the beer. He's honest, you know. So it shouldn't be that way. Right. And so we, we, we got to be careful. We're, we're, the, we're the church. We need to represent the Lord right. Amen. Next section here. Taking you to task. Look at verse nine says, do you not know? Once again, you should know, but. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And this is one of the do not be deceived. Whenever God says do not be deceived, he only says it in areas where people are deceived. Um, several times in the New Testament, Paul usually is the one that's saying it. He said, hey, don't be deceived. Right. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Don't be deceived. First Corinthians 15, 33. Evil company corrupts good character right here. Don't be deceived. Don't think you can live any old kind of way. And go to heaven because there are people that have been deceived into believing that they can go on and sin and make it in. So right here, we're going to find out that's not the case. Paul is taking them the task. I need you all to understand this. And this is a faithful shepherd. This is a faithful pastor. It is not a faithful pastor, shepherd, minister that will lead you to believe that without repentance and without change, you're OK. That's not right um, because people end up dying thinking they were okay. That's, I think that might be one of the worst deceptions that Satan does is causes people that are not okay to think they're okay so that they'll die. And by the time they find out they're not okay, it's too late. So I want to do better, right? Let's just read it together. He says, first of all, do you not know? Because you should know, because I've been said it over and over again. Do you not know that, first off, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Well, what are the unrighteous? That are those that have not surrendered their life to Christ. Because when we receive Christ, we receive his righteousness. Those that have not done that, those that have not allowed Jesus to be Lord of their lives, you haven't believed the gospel that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, um, and you surrendered your life to him. Some people will acknowledge that those facts mentally. That doesn't save you. A mental awareness and agreement with the facts of the gospel doesn't save you. If what you believe hasn't brought you to repentance, you haven't believed right. 
And I'm going to say that one more time. If what you believed has not brought you to repentance, you haven't believed right. When you believe the gospel, you stop what you were doing and you surrender your life to Christ. And now the things you bought, you used to love to do, you might still desire to do them. You might still struggle with them, but you don't just go on like nothing happened. I'm good. Um, you repent. You change. God begins to work from the inside out. So he says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? The unrighteous, those that are not living upright lives, those that are not in a righteous, they're not in a right standing before God. You're not going to heaven like that. It's not it's not true. Now he gives a list. He says, don't be deceived. Neither. He adds a list of specific things. Let's go through it together. Neither fornicators. Why is that top the list? It seems like it tops. It seems like every time there's a list of people that aren't going to heaven, it starts off with sexual sin. Right. Why is that? Because. I believe, right, there's no mistakes in them, but I believe that you, I, you, I've gone through several lists where it's telling you, Galatians, it's telling you the people that aren't going to make it in, and it seems like it always starts with sex, the, the, the verses that deal with sexual sins, and I believe that like the Corinthians, us Americans and people that are living today live in a very sexually perverted world where God created this wonderful thing called sex, um, he created it to be enjoyed within the uh, the, the covenant of a marriage. Um, God did all sorts. He made it pleasurable. He made it fruitful. He made it bring people together and make you feel all like that about each other and everything. He's out, but I, that's all for in the marriage. And everybody's taking what God created and like, but I want it without that. I want this without that. And so it's not just true. It's true for them. It's true for us too. So fornication, what is that? It's, it's sex. When you're not married, that's fornication. So anybody that's not married, if you're not married, can you have sex under any circumstances? What if it's the only one left on the world? You're on a planet and then there's no pastor to marry you. No, okay, you can't. You know that. I've heard it all. I'm like, well, what if it was like you were just two people on the planet and there was nobody to marry you and it was just one of you? Even just man, you ain't there. You and you in America, there's pastors everywhere. Shut up. You know. <laughs> You can't have sex, right? If you want to have sex, what do you need to do? Get married. You can have all you want. If your spouse allows. So, <laughs> fornicate, that, that's next week. That's next week, y'all. Next week, I will talk to the married people, chapter 7. So, we'll, we'll get there. Fornication, sex while you're not married. Don't do it. It's, it's, it's a sin. Um, sex nor idolaters. When we think of idolatry, um, many of us, the images that may come up are People worshiping actual images or idols of Buddha or some figurine or something like that, which was idolatry. Somebody worshiping something as God that's not God. In our culture, in our day, as in theirs, idolatry is anything that is on the throne of your heart that's not God. If that, if, if, and there are people here, some people, your kids could become your idols. Some people, your spouse could become your idols. Your family and your parents, your job and your stuff your money and your things. Many things can be erected as idols. Some people are shining their idols this morning, their cars. They're out there getting the rims clean and getting everything done. Many things could be an idol. Idol is simply this, because Jesus died to be everything. He's to be on the throne of our hearts. Anything that we erect above him. I love this more than you. I love this so much I will sin against you in order to enjoy it. That's an idol. So we've all done it. But if it's your lifestyle, if you're an idolater, right? Everybody here, I'm sure in some way, shape or form, you, you've caught yourself. Oh, I put that. I got to put that back in its place. You got to put it back down. But if you live there, that's idolatry. You're not going to heaven like that. 
If, if something else is on the throne of your heart, you need to take it down and put it in its place. So fornicators, no idolaters, nor adulterers. We talked about this one last week. What's an adulterer? Adulterer is someone who is having sexual relations with someone that, that's married. So either you're married and you're having sex outside of your marriage, that's adultery. Or you could be single having sex with a married person. That's adultery. It's it's violating the marriage covenant. So in either way. So it's that's adultery. That's why if, if someone is um, I've, I've heard of situations where someone is dating or someone or seeing someone that is in the midst of a divorce, which we'll talk about divorce next week. It's like you shouldn't be. They ain't, you know, that's not the way you can't do that. And then you mess around and have to an adultery. Now you having sex with somebody that's married. That's adultery. There's a whole lot more I can say on that, but that's the bottom line. It's, 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 it's a breaking of the marriage covenant. God, in the marriage covenant, one thing that you've agreed to is that, and it's, it's an agreement between a husband, a wife, and God, that there won't be anybody else in this. This is, this is for the rest of your life, this is the person that you can be intimate with. That's it. And so you don't break your covenant and you don't break someone else's. Or, or involve yourself. That's adultery. And, and God takes it very serious. We live in a culture today that looks at the marriage covenant like, eh, it just didn't work out. They got to start getting on my nerve. I fell out of love. La, la, la. And it's just easy come, easy go. Um, that's not how God sees it. It's not how God sees it. And marriage is still a covenant between a man, a woman, and God. So when you break that covenant, it's adultery. Someone living like that ain't going to heaven. You got to repent. Can't, you can't, can't stay there. Nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. Uh, again, a hot topic in our culture. Um, our culture is is try to make you know homosexual relationships equal with the marriage relationships. Um, God says no homosexual. You, you, if you live a homosexual lifestyle, um, you won't inherit the kingdom. Now I understand this, and I try to be careful because in one sense, there's a part of the church that is uh, buckling to the world in terms of accepting this as okay, and again, misleading people. So you could be a homosexual Christian. You know, you can't be a homosexual Christian. You can't be a home. You can't be a, a heterosexual fornicating Christian. Neither can you be a homosexual Christian. The issue is that lifestyle itself is a sin. So now I understand this, that there are people who are there are people that I've ministered to that are in, that are involved with homosexuality, struggling with it, that were abused and quite. I mean, Honestly, quite a few of the, at least the males that I have ministered to that come, you know, they end up being homosexual and you minister to them and you find out, well, where, where did this all begin? Um, not every single one, but a very high percentage of them are boys as some of them were boys that even before they were having any sexual experience, somebody, uh, somebody assaulted them and, and that was done to them. And so in one sense, you know, I, I would hate to be the man that's merciless in terms of and no one ever ministered to that need. No one ever ministered to them, uh, helped them. Uh, many times they've gone and told and nobody, nobody got involved, nobody helped out. And so in one sense, you have a victim. Um, but as time goes on and you begin to make your own choices and choose to live a certain way, I understand where the confusion came from. But now you're, you're intentionally sinning. And so that needs to be repented of. And so what happens in the church is one of two things. We either say, you know, how could you be so mean to them? Just let them be. It's, it's, it's their choice who they love. That's not helping them. That's leaving them lost. And the other end of it is over here where you, people act like they, they, they dang near hate them and are disgusted by them. And it's like, but well, that's not Jesus either. So Jesus is right here, right here, where it's like, hey, I love you. 
but that's a sin. Would you bring it to me? He can cleanse you, he can forgive you, and he can give you power to overcome it. That's the message that we need to be giving to the world. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit calvaryinglewood.org and click on media. Or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest times and location information. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is CalvaryInglewood.org. As we looked into the book of 1 Corinthians, accountability and helping other believers strive for purity and commitment to God are topics that come to the surface. Although these things aren't always fun or easy, they're an incredible blessing to have in your life and in your church. So look to be involved and accountable wherever you're plugged in with other believers. If you notice that this ministry has been a blessing, even when it's convicted your heart in certain ways, we're glad that we can be a part of that. Would you be praying for a transforming word? As the messages go out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. We ask that you pray for ears to be opened, hearts to be softened, and for lives to be changed. That's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Bill again for another edition of A Transforming Word.